Like it's such a good gift to be able to be together, to worship Jesus, to delight in the wonder of who he is and all that he's doing in our life as a community of faith together. I'm just so tremendously grateful for you and for him. Again, as you know, we're in a series called Deeper Life, looking at how we go past just a surface level knowledge of the things of the faith to really passionately embracing them and living them out. So far, we've talked about prayer, the importance of living a broad, robust prayer life uh, that includes a number of different modes of prayer to help us to engage with God most meaningfully and effectively. We've looked at the scriptures and ways that we can incorporate those into our lives and choose to live them out and immerse ourselves in them, to saturate our souls with the scriptures in ways that shapes and changes us. We've talked about the importance of sharing Jesus with those around us, that they would come to see him and know him, experience the peace and hope and freedom and joy that we know in him as well. And last week we talked about baptism, the idea that for all of us who choose to walk with Jesus and follow him, this is a necessary, a vital, and early step that we are called to take. And for those of us who have been baptized, that we are called to ongoingly live out the vows and commitments that we've made in baptism. And today we're going to talk about a controversial topic. Today we're going to talk about giving, how we engage with our financial life in a way that reflects Jesus and helps us to honor him and walk with him. And now I know As soon as I said giving and finances, I lost some of you. Some of you have tuned me out already. Some of you are already feeling a sense of angst or tension or frustration around the idea of this concept. Why would we talk about this in church? But just bear with me. Just kind of hear me out. Let's process this thing together and see how God will choose to meet us redemptively as we choose to engage with him in this process. Let's just pray and invite Jesus to lead and guide us to direct this time in the ways that he wants to. Father, we thank you that you are good, and that in everything you invite us into, your purpose is life and flourishing and wholeness and goodness and fullness. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us from darkness into the glory of your wonderful light, and nothing could compare with the wonder of your presence. And we thank you, Lord, that in the ways that you invite us to live, that you desire to bless us and to cause us to flourish and to thrive. And so we ask your protection, your wisdom, your guidance over these moments. Would you empower us to engage with this in a way that will lead us to life and not to death, in a way that will move us closer into the wonder of your presence, not create a sense of discord or disunity within us. Continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit and to lead and guide these spaces where the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And in the midst of my weakness, would you be glorious and strong. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may be asking the question, why on earth would we talk about money and finances in church? It makes you really awkward to hear this sermon. It makes me really awkward to preach this sermon. So why on earth would we go through this experience together? Again, the first and maybe the first idea in this is that the Bible really does talk about these things, and Jesus talks about these things. Again, people who know all kind of the nerdy statistics would tell us that Jesus talks about how we handle money and possessions more often than Jesus talks about heaven or hell or heaven and hell combined. And when we look at the scriptures as a whole, they talk about how we navigate money and possessions more often than they talk about faith or prayer or faith and prayer combined. And so if we want to live a faith that is appropriately biblical, aligned with the truth of the word of God, we can't ignore the fact that it does actually talk about how we engage with our financial reality, with our possessions, with the resources that God has given to us. And maybe even more importantly, and maybe the reason why the Bible talks about this so much, is that finances and possessions can have a powerfully shaping part of our soul. How we engage with these things has a significant impact on our spiritual reality. 
For example, if we engage with finances in the way that the Bible discusses and describes, it cultivates within us a sense of gratitude, a sense of generosity, a sense of peace, a capacity to keep Jesus as the most important part of our life through all the range of the decisions that we have. And if we fully ignore the teachings and the guidance of the Scripture, it will also shape our souls the way that we engage with finances, but it may shape our souls to create within us a sense of greed, where we are constantly longing for more than we need, or a sense of envy, where we keep looking around at what everybody else has and the things that they get to do and the possessions that they get to incorporate in their lives, and we just keep saying, why not me? And it leaves us in an unhealthy place of discontent, a place where we are always longing for so much more, a space where we feel insecure when we see the things that we don't have, or we feel remarkably arrogant and superior because of the things that we do have. And so how we engage with our finances does impact the reality of our souls. It has a powerfully shaping impact. And this is why it's important for us to navigate and to discuss this. And today what I want to do is help us look together at how do we look at our financial life in a way that shapes our souls for good and not for evil in a way that leads us closer into intimacy and the relationship with Jesus and not further away from him. And I want to be really clear as we start off this conversation, this has so much more to do with the posture of our hearts than it does with the reality of our bank account. Again, the truth is that God does not need your money. Again, God, every, all the money that I could ever own, that you could ever own, all the possessions that all of us together could ever have are always and only a gracious gift from God. God owns everything. In fact, one bizarre and interesting thing that I learned uh, in the last little bit is scientists will tell us that on some planets, it probably rains diamonds because the reality of how that goes, God doesn't need our money. But he invites us into this process of giving so that our souls could be reshaped because God isn't grasping and we as a church are not grasping for your money. But God invites us to know him and to walk with him in every part of life in a way that shapes us for holiness and goodness and love and abundance and truth. Jesus talks about this in a lot of different places. For example, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, Jesus knows exactly the ways that we have been created. He knows that at the very top of our lives, there's only space for one thing or for one person. And if at the very top of our lives, we have God as the primary object, the primary goal, the primary one that we are worshiping and desiring to live for, there's only space for him there. But if we flip it, and if, say, for example, we put money or possessions or our standard of living above our relationship with Jesus, it becomes the thing that directs and dictates the whole course and the whole flow of our lives. Jesus is simply stating a fact. We cannot serve both God and money. We cannot have both of them as the primary object, the primary goal, our primary desire in life. There's only space for one. This hit me in a different way a number of weeks ago as I was reading in my, uh, my space with Jesus in the morning. I was reading Isaiah chapter 2, and this verse just jumped out at me. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. And in this passage, Isaiah is talking about the idea that people create idols with their own hands, and they choose to worship them. But what really struck me was this thought. Is it possible that in our land, in our space, we are worshiping the work of our hands. 
Is it possible, even just possible, that we would place our work or our finances or our standard of living or our capacity to make an income and feel self-sufficient, is it possible that we would place this as a higher priority than our relationship with Jesus? Is it possible that we could be worshiping these things, longing for and desiring for and placing as our greatest object and goal a standard of living or a financial reality opposed to a life lived holistically for Christ? And again, sometimes we can recognize what does this really look like based on our decisions? Our decisions about the way that we use our time and our resources, are they primarily built around the idea that we long to know Jesus and love him and serve him? Or are they primarily based around the reality of what our day-by-day life or standard of living might happen to look like? And it points out to us this challenging reality that Jesus expresses, that we cannot serve both God and money. We don't have enough space in our souls at the top of our being to worship both of these things or to make them our highest goal and our greatest achievement. And when Jesus says these words to us, this is a really good gift of grace. When he challenges us in the ways that we are engaging with our financial life, this is a good gift of grace. Because Jesus knows that if we were to live for money, if money or our standard of living or work or whatever it might be takes the primary place within our lives, we will always feel empty. Because money is a God that exacts a terrible cost from us and leaves us always feeling empty and lacking. It will fill us with anxiety and fear and striving and longing and constantly seeking for things that can never, ever satisfy us in the deepest places of our souls. You see, so often we believe that if we just had more, we would feel satisfied. If we just drove the vehicle that the people around us drive, we would feel so satisfied. If we could take those kind of vacations, if we had that much money in our bank account, if we lived in that kind of house, if we just had more, we would feel whole, we'd be able to deeply delight I find it interesting that the actor and comedian Jim Jim Carrey once made this statement. He said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Again, spoken by someone who got rich and famous and got everything that he ever dreamed of and recognized that it wasn't the answer. Likewise, John Rockefeller, who was probably one of the richest people who ever lived in human history, a reporter once asked John and said to him, how much money is enough? To which he replied, just a little bit more. I think that expresses so often the reality of our lives. We can always look to someone who has more than us and think, if I just had what they had, I would feel content, I would feel whole, I would delight in life, I would be satisfied. And everyone else is always looking to something more. Even someone like Rockefeller, the richest person of his era and of his time, just kept saying, I just need more. And the truth is that Jesus knows if we had everything that our hearts desired, if we had everything that we longed for, everything that we want, everything we think that would make us happy, if we possessed all of this, we would still feel empty we would still feel unsatisfied. We would still be longing and grasping and pushing for more. And so Jesus invites us into something else. He gives us this really good gift of giving so that our hearts, our minds, and our souls can be reshaped so we could experience a sense of contentment and freedom and delight in him so we could experience the, the financial blessings that he gives to us as a really good gift that we get to delight in not constantly grasping for more. 
and so we could experience a sense of his presence and peace and hope and joy. The Bible talks about a number of ways that we can engage with giving, and I want to look at two critical ones together this morning. One aspect of giving that the Bible talks about often is the principle of tithing, that we would give 10% of all that we make back to God. We see this all over the scriptures in places like Leviticus 27, which says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And within this concept is the understanding that God has given us absolutely everything that we have. And so we choose to give back to him 10% of what he's given to us as a way of saying thank you to God, as a way of expressing our trust in him, as a way of worshiping him and making sure that we are saying day in and day out that God is the one that we are serving and not money or our financial standard of living or the spaces where we are. And for these people, it was always we give God the first 10%, not what's left over at the end. Because we want to make sure that we are prioritizing him often that he is our first, our foremost, our greatest, and our best, and that we long to worship him first and always in everything. We recognize that God takes this remarkably personally. We see this in passages like Malachi chapter 3, where God says, will, mere, will a mere mortal rob God, and yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be, not be room enough to store it. And again, we see for God, this isn't just about money. This is about a personal connection. This is about the personal relationship that we live and exist and have with him. That we're not simply free to do whatever we would like because God wants us to live in this ongoing dynamic back and forth relationship where we're willing to honor him and worship him with every part of who we are. And I just love the shift in tone that takes place in verse 10 of this passage where God says, test me in this. Again, it could also be translated, please test me in this. And it has this beautiful invitational tone where God is saying, just try this out. Just test me. See what I'm going to do. Again, very, very seldom does God ever say, test me and see what happens. But in this particular passage, in this, with this concept, this idea of giving back to God 10% of all that he's given to us, God says, just try it out. Just see what I'll do. Just see how I'll respond. And I think God does this because he knows us really, really well. God recognizes how much of a sacrifice this is. There's so much more that we could do with this kind of money. There's so many more great things that we could have. There's so much more stuff that we could experience and enjoy. There's so many more ways that we could impress the people around us with all this money. And God says, just test me. Just trust me. Just choose to walk this out with me and see how I respond to you. And if this is really, really challenging for us, can you imagine how challenging this would have been for the first audience who heard this? Or for so many people throughout history who have read this, who worked one day so that they would have enough money to eat the very next, with very little to their name and no social safety net to uphold them if anything ever went wrong. Can you imagine the kind of trust that it would take, living hand to mouth every single day to say, God, I want to put you first. I want to choose to give to you part of what you're giving to me before I do anything else with it. It would take a massive amount of trust. 
And in response, God said, just try this, just test it, just see what I will do in response to the way that you give towards me. Again, God says he will pour out blessings over us. And now the blessings might be material things. It might be that as we choose to embrace this and follow God in this, he will bless us with the financial resources that we need so we won't feel the impact or the loss of the things that we choose to give to him. But he might also choose to bless us in other ways. God might choose to bless us with a sense of peace or a healthy kind of contentment. He might choose to bless us with a different kind of hope or suddenness in the deep places of our soul. It could be that as we follow God in this, he will free us from the curse of our culture. Because you see, within our culture, we have this terrible reality. We are the wealthiest civilization that has ever existed in human history, and we were probably the least content. We have everything, and we cannot enjoy it. The curse of our reality is that we are surrounded by so much more than so many generations before us, and we just cannot delight in it because we are consumed with a need and a longing and a desperation for more. We are overcome with fear and insecurity and uncertainty of how to feel stable or loved or known or seen. And maybe as we walk with God in this, maybe the blessing that he gives to us is this deep sense of peace a capacity to just delight and enjoy and experience all of the good gifts that he gives to us with wonder and a holy anticipation and with a deep sense of, of just giddiness because we can receive them as a good gift from God, not as the God that we are worshiping. And maybe this is the blessing that he pours over us. Again, if you've never tried tithing, I want to encourage you, maybe take up this challenge. Maybe just give it a shot. Maybe take God at his word and just say, I just want to see what you will do if I choose to respond to you in this particular way. But if this seems too hard, if this feels like too much, like way too much of a risk for the current position that you find yourself in, what I want to encourage you to do is find somebody in the church who has done tithing and ask them how it went. Maybe ask a number of people, how did that go for you? What happened when you chose to engage with God in this particular way? How did God respond to you? And after you've heard what they have to say, make the decision for yourself. If you can't find someone who's ever tithed, uh, let us know. We'll find somebody for you. There's a bunch of people around. Uh, we can connect you with them to have that kind of conversation to engage. And the thing that I love about this is this isn't pressure. This isn't weight. This isn't God demanding. This is a really good invitation where God is saying to us, I know how profoundly money can shape your soul. And God is inviting us to engage with our finances in a way that fills us and moves us towards good and holiness in life and not away from these things. And so he's inviting us into this process as a good gift of his grace. And I'm going to take a drink. But tithing is not the only way that the Bible discusses finances. For example, many people have commented in the fact when you move from the Old Testament into the New, there seems to be a bit of a different perspective. In the Old Testament, there's this idea that you make sure you give at least 10%, whereas in the New Testament, there is this concept that God owns absolutely everything, and that everything that we are and everything that we have, we hold fully open to him to use however he desires. For example, the author Randy Alcorn has said, the tithe was not a ceiling, it was a merely a floor. It was the beginning point of the early church, not the sum total. They gave much more as it was a particular need. 
And we see this lived out in passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and encouraging them to engage with a giving project that he's currently doing. He says to them, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And again, in this context, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and saying to them, there's a particular need. The church in Jerusalem is really, really suffering. And I want all of us as churches to raise some money for them to help alleviate the suffering that they're currently experiencing. These people are already in a regular pattern of giving with the church that they're a part of. And Paul's saying over and above that, I want you to think about what is God inviting you to give? And I love the heart of this passage. The way the Apostle Paul invites them to engage with their giving, not based on guilt or or a sense of pressure or a sense of being forced into it, but to think through with God, what is it that you're asking me to give? To embrace this relationally with Jesus, saying, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to give and where? What's the part that you want me to play in this particular work that you're doing? Again, not reluctantly and not with compulsion, but there's a sense of joy and a sense of ease. I get to be a part of this thing that God is doing. I think this is really important for us because sometimes when we think about giving or we talk about giving, or maybe even this morning as I'm talking about giving, there's a kind of bitterness that pops up. There's a kind of resentment or a harshness or a criticalness in our souls when we think about this idea of giving. This passage would remind us, we need to process when we feel these kinds of things, why do we feel like this? Why do we feel frustrated or bitter or resentful or critical when someone talks to us about the idea of giving? And as we process these things out with Jesus, it it becomes more clear. Again, maybe the Holy Spirit will point out to us, there's a good reason why you feel skeptical about this ask. Maybe this isn't the right thing to give to. Or maybe as we engage with these things with God, we'll recognize we have a significant level of fear around giving. Maybe what's happened in our souls is that we have believed that our security comes from what's in our bank account, instead of our security coming from the fact that we are in a relationship with the Lord and God of all of the universe. And when someone talks to us about giving, it increases our level of fear, because it seems to undermine our sense of security, because we believe we're only as secure as the money that we have. And maybe Jesus wants to liberate us from that sense of fear. Or maybe it's about our identity. Maybe when someone talks to us about giving, we recognize that we wouldn't know who we would be if we couldn't dress like this or drive that vehicle or live in that place or take those kinds of vacations because we have made our financial reality or our standard of living our identity. And maybe Jesus wants to liberate us into a whole new sense of recognizing that we are loved and cherished, that we are dignified, that we are honored by him, that our value and our worth is not in what we own or what we have or what we can do, but it's in the wonder of relationship with him. Maybe we feel bitter or resentful because we're holding on to our stuff too tightly and we're resisting the movement of God in our souls. Whatever the reason may be, whenever we feel this kind of hesitancy, It's a good reminder for us to just say, Jesus, what are you doing here? When I feel this kind of hesitancy, it's a good reminder for me to ask Jesus, Lord, what's going on in my soul? Why do I feel resistant to this? And as we engage in the way that this passage describes, by simply relationally engaging with God and asking God, God, what is it that you want me to give in this moment? It can be so liberating for some of us. 
because some of us feel compelled to give to anyone and everyone who asks all of the time. And as we engage with God, maybe he'll point out to us where our best yeses and our best noes are in relationship to giving. And for others of us, maybe he'll point out to us there's a deeper work that he desires to do in our souls, ways that he wants to continue to shape and rework and form us to be the people that he's created us to be by giving us freedom from fear or pressure or weight or idolatry around our stuff. And again, it could look like a whole bunch of different things. It could look like choosing to care for the practical needs of people around us by supporting them financially. It might be to engage with a particular missions program or project that we're engaged with so that the kingdom of God can move forward in a different kind of way. And for some of us, it might even look like we put a cap on what our lifestyle looks like. Again, one story from church history that I always find so intensely personally challenging is the story of John Wesley. Now, John Wesley was kind of the, he's this, this epic giant throughout church history. And early in John Wesley's ministry, what he did was he sat down and he looked at his finances. And he said, okay, it's going to take me about 28 pounds a year to live life comfortably. You know, not like scrimping and saving everything that he could, but to live a reasonable life where he can enjoy Jesus and what God's given to him and not feel pressure and pain around finances. It would take about 28 pounds a year for him to do that. And so he said, okay, I'm, right now I make 38. I'll give the other 10 away. And throughout the whole course of his life, John Wesley continued to live off of 28 pounds every year. Even when he was making 1,400 pounds every year, he kept his standard of living exactly the same. And because it was a season where there was very little inflation, he was able to keep it at exactly the same number. And so every year, at particular points in his life, he would give away 1,372 pounds and live off of 28. He just said, I don't need to live in a bigger house. I don't need to have my standard of living change based on my income. This is what I need. I want to choose to give the rest away. I also remember hearing about one other modern-day relatively famous church leader who uh, I will leave nameless because this happened in a private conversation. He made the comment that he and his family choose to live simply so that other people around them can simply live. And one significant part of what they did was they capped their standard of living in order to care for the practical needs of people around them. And again, none of this is about compulsion. None of this is about guilt. None of this is about a demand of God grasping for our money. All of this is an invitation from a loving God who cares for us and desires that we would engage with our financial life in a way that shapes our souls for good instead of shaping our souls for evil. Because there's just so many benefits for giving. Again, God recognizes that this is hard. He recognizes the pull that finances have on our lives. But as we give, it protects our souls. It moves us from people who might be tempted to make money or our standard of living or our work the most important thing in our life, and it protects us so that we can say over and over again, Jesus, you are the most important thing in my life. You are the one that I'm worshiping. We live in a culture where greed is the water that we swim in. People make a tremendous amount of money on advertising, convincing us that we need so many things that we don't really need. Playing on our insecurities and our fears and our longings and our desires to convince us to spend more and more and more and to have more and more and more. And giving is this really good gift that helps to anchor our souls in the truth that we are loved by God, that we are valued by Him, that we have dignity regardless of what we have or don't have. It liberates and it frees us from the lies of greed that take place in our culture all the time. It frees us from the curse of our culture to have everything and not be able to enjoy it. 
so we can be people of contentment and peace and hope and joy, receiving from God all of the good things that he gives to us as a gracious gift from his hand to be deeply enjoyed, but not as something to be strived after over and over and over again. In giving, we have this capacity to say thank you to God over and over again for the ways that he continues to bless us and provide for us. You see, it does so many good things for our souls as we engage in this process. But it's actually not just about us either. As we give, it also benefits the lives of people all around us. And again, I've got to see this so many times in the last year. Do you know that in the last year, we have been able to support 33 families in, moments of, in spaces of crisis or hardship or difficulty, providing them with the basic necessities and realities to continue to live and to live a life that is abundant. We've given away almost $105,000 to support practical needs of people within our community. It's a really good gift to be able to bless and to care for others. Through our global partners, we've been able to do some really tremendous and significant things. We've been able to liberate and to free women and girls from human trafficking, giving them the opportunity to learn new skills so they can make a living for themselves and have the opportunity to know God and to walk with Him. We've seen the Bible translated into languages where people didn't know or have access to the scripture before, and people being trained to continue this ongoing important work so that many more people in generations to come will have the word of God in their own language. And already this morning, we've heard this tremendous word that through your giving, we are able to see that the truth of Jesus goes to some of the hardest to reach places in the world. We get to do so many amazing things. And even within the context of our own congregation, there have been so many families who've been encouraged or helped or supported through grief or trial or crisis. Maybe your family is one of them. We also have this really good gift that every single week, hundreds of our kids get to be trained and strengthened in the truth of God in a way that will form and shape the faith of generations to come. I think about the amazing gift that we have for our young people in the teenage years and this current culture that they live in, that they get to learn over and over again the wonderful truth of who they are in Jesus and given a supportive and healthy, life-giving community for them to continue to navigate and to walk through the current season that they're in. I think about the ways that hundreds of us have been shaped and changed and transformed by the love of Jesus in the last year, the ways that we've got to know Jesus more, the ways that he's healed us or encouraged us or strengthened us or challenged us, the ways that he keeps on leading us forward. And we have seen so many people begin a fresh and a new journey with Jesus, moving from darkness to light into the wonder of his glorious light. And these things come out of the truth that you are faithful and you're giving. You're a tremendously generous church, and I'm so thankful. It's a really good gift from my perspective to get to see the ways that lives get changed through the ways that you choose to engage in this really good gift of giving. So thank you so much for all of that. Again, as we give, our souls are shaped for good instead of for evil. As we give, God is glorified. And as we give, the lives of so many people around us get to be shaped and changed and strengthened. Because you see, money has a powerful impact on our lives, a deeply shaping impact for good or for evil. As we go through this series, we want to make sure that we're not just knowing the truth of the scripture, but we're choosing to embrace it and to live it out. And so I want to encourage you to go deeper in this good gift of giving, but not to do it under compulsion, not to do it under a sense of heaviness or in harshness or criticalness or frustration, but to do this in relationship with Jesus, in an ongoing movement of the dynamic work of his spirit inviting us to go further. 
freeing us and empowering us to walk this out. And this could look like a whole bunch of different things. I remember some friends of ours in another congregation explained that when they were younger, they were starting their business. And every single month, when they got to the end of the month, they got to the end of the money before they got to the end of their bills. And at one point in time, the husband and wife just sat down together and said, we need to make a change. They said, okay, we really believe Jesus is calling us to tithe, to give 10% of everything that we make to him and to do that first. And they said the first month that they ever did that, when they got to the end of the month, they'd gotten to the end of the bills before they got to the end of their money for the first time in their marriage. And throughout the course of their life in, in financial highs and lows, they said we would never, ever give this up because God had proved himself so faithful over and over and over again in their journey. Again, maybe that's an invitation that he'll give to you. I've certainly known other people who recognized that God was calling them to give very differently than they were, and they needed to set a number of stretch goals because they weren't in a financial position to be able to make a change. And so they wanted to grow into what he was calling them to give, and they did that over the course of time. Again, if you're married, I want to encourage you, you need to have all of these conversations within the context of the relationship between the two of you. Don't just decide this unilaterally. Otherwise, we'll be having so many marriage counseling conversations that will be challenging and difficult for all of us. So I really want to encourage you to do, that with, do, that, do this with your spouse. And again, also for many of us, you might be in a space where you feel like you are just drowning financially. And this feels like a really unhealthy level of weight. I have been there. Again, we want to encourage you, if you're in that space where you feel like you're drowning financially and you're not able to process this through without any sense of fear or weight around you. Uh, So we had a conversation with a number of financial people in our church. We have a lot of really great professional financial people in the church, and they volunteered their time. They said if there's people in the church who recognize they're not able to give because they're drowning and they need some space to process this and to work this out, we have some great professionals who would love to sit down with you and volunteer their time to help you to navigate your financial reality so that you could embrace giving with a sense of freedom and joy and not with a sense of guilt or heaviness or an unhealthy level of fear. And so again, if this is you, feel free to reach out to us and we'll connect you with one of them and you'll be able to have some good, meaningful conversations as they help you navigate the current space that you find yourself in financially. And so what might be the next step that God is calling you to take today? Again, might it be that God is inviting you to embrace the process of tithing, either by choosing to go for it all at once or in an incremental process? Is there some other aspect of giving that God is inviting you into? Maybe you recognize today that you really just need to have a conversation with someone who can help you to navigate your financial life and to embrace that even though it feels a little bit frightening. And I also know that for some of us, our first step is just have an honest conversation with Jesus. Because for some of us, whenever I talk about giving or somebody else talks to you about giving, there's just this sense of bitterness. There's a sense of anger or frustration or criticalness that just pops to the surface. And you're just really not free to embrace giving with any kind of joy or with any kind of peace. And maybe the first thing that you need to do is just to set aside some time with Jesus or with Jesus and a really good friend and just spend some time praying and processing what is it that produces this sense of, of angst within you around the idea of giving? What is it that's happened? What is it that makes this difficult for you? So let's just spend a few moments now just processing, reflecting, asking Jesus maybe, what's your next step to embrace the good gift of the grace of giving that he's offering to us?
And so, Father, we thank you so much that you are a good and a gracious God. We thank you, God, that you're not grasping, that you're not trying to force us into something that will be detrimental or destructive to our life. We thank you, Lord, that in everything that you invite us into, it is so unimaginably good, that all of your intentions for us are good, and for life, and for freedom, and for hope, and for joy. That even as we embrace this really difficult, challenging conversation around giving, that it isn't under compulsion, but it is about a beautiful invitation of your spirit to invite us to be formed by the way that we engage with our finances in a way that will produce life and not death, contentment and peace and not grasping and emptiness. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and you would guide us. Would you give us peace in the deep places of our soul? Would you help us to trust you really well? Would you empower us to walk with you faithfully? Would you fill us with clarity and wisdom and insight? And Lord, where we need just really good conversations with someone else, would you provide us the right person to have these conversations with and to navigate our concerns or our fears or uncertainty with? We thank you, Lord, that you're inviting us further. We just want to be faithful to you. We long that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done here as it is in heaven in our hearts and minds and souls and lives, in our community and in our city. And Lord, we thank you for the ways that you meet with us. Would you lead us on and empower us to walk with you faithfully? In Jesus' name, amen.